Oh God, is it possible that you could make us beautiful this morning? Not because of anything inherent in us, God, but because you loved us so much that you sent your only Son to take our place, to take the death that we deserved, to offer us the life that was not ours, to make what is tarnished and broken beautiful again. Yeah, we know that you're the author of life and you speak words of life into us. God, I pray that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations, God, of all of our hearts. Make them beautiful, God. Make them acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. He made it. I don't know if you caught the news this morning. I'm a little hesitant, honestly, to, to look at the news in the morning because usually it's really depressing. But he made it. He jumped out of an airplane with no parachute. Are you anybody following this story yesterday? With no parachute and, and landed in a hundred foot square net, streaming through the air at 120 miles an hour. He hit a hundred square Foot net. That can't be right. It's got to be 100 feet by 100 feet net up on telephone poles. And they gently let the nets down. He hadn't moved. He hit that net at 120 miles an hour. And then he stood up and hugged his wife. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. What an idiot. <laughs> oh, come on. You were thinking it too, weren't you? Why is it that we have this incessant decision to to try and do something just because it's never been done before. I have to tell you a lot of things have never been done before and there's a good reason, right? There's a good reason. But like they thought even a hundred years ago, all the important things have been done and and people say, I've got to find something, something impressive. I have to tell you that that does turn my crank. I mean, that, I mean, I think, wow, that's pretty cool. We were having dinner with Ellen Lynch uh, uh, last evening, and, and, and we were talking about that. And she was thinking, wow, you know. And we, it was right about the time, wasn't it, Chelsea, that, um, that he, was, he was jumping. It was 8 o'clock Eastern time. And, and we're thinking, oh, my goodness. But, you know, it's such a parable, isn't it, for our lives? To a certain extent, our lives are like this man. We're screaming through the air at terminal velocity, Right? trying to hit this little tiny square. When you're jumping out at 15,000 feet or something like that, that's a tiny little square. And, and we know that God has made a square for us. He's made a place for us to land. But, but we're screaming through the air without a parachute, trying somehow to manipulate it. The guy said, this is pretty tricky, understatement of the year, because, because you know, a three or four mile an hour wind, you can't really tell when you're going 120 miles an hour, might be, might be redirecting you. Now, in fairness, he, he jumped, I think he said, 75 times before with a parachute toward that thing at the last minute, at 1,000 feet. It's illegal to do this. But 1,000 feet, he would pull the, pull the ripcord, thinking that he could make that net. But he didn't know until yesterday. I don't know about you, but I don't want to risk trying to hit a 100-square-foot net. I want to know right now that I'm going to land safely, Right? 
Here's the problem. God speaks to us how to land safely. But, but most of us hear him say that. We can't pretend that we don't hear him say, this is the way, walk in it, right? We, we, we hear him say that and we go, ah, God, I don't think so. I, I'm going to help you out here, right? I'm going to, I'm going to give you just a little bit of encouragement, God, that you need, and I'm going to show you a different way to do that. It's not unusual. It's been happening for 3,000 years at least. Our passage, I know, went by really fast from Isaiah chapter 30, was describing just such a situation. It's shortly before the fall of the northern kingdom, somewhere in the 8th century before Christ, so 2,800 years ago, and, and Assyria has been lifted up. God has raised up Assyria to cast judgment on his people, right? Because they've not been honoring him. And, and so what happens is God raises up something that puts fear in us. Why? So that we will turn to him, so that we'll repent and, and listen to his voice again. And, uh, but, but like us, the people of that time would have nothing to do with it. In fact, they did something very specific. They thought, big enemy to the north, another enemy to the south, read Egypt, right? We're gonna make a, we're gonna make a deal with Egypt to protect us from Assyria, right? And, uh, and, uh, there are all kinds of machinations going on in their thoughts. Now, I say this because the same exact dynamic is going on right now in, in American culture, is it not? We're having all kinds of, of human machinations to try and figure out a way to save ourselves in the midst of a, of a world that's, that's going crazy, in the midst of enemies, some visible like armies, but most of them not so visible, and yet still terrifying us, terrorizing us at the same time. And so we're tempted to, to trust in governments. In this case, not necessarily the one to our south, Mexico. We're tempted to trust in our own government even to be able to do that. This is really important, beloved. If you're like me and just over up to here with all the accusations and the vitriol of the election season, our salvation is not in our government. Fair enough? Hello? All right? It's not. We're in the exact same situation they were 2,800 years ago. God is speaking. Don't misunderstand me for a second. I'm, I'm not at all saying don't vote. Don't hear what I'm not saying, right? We are amazingly privileged to live in a semi-democracy here where we can where we can affect the outcomes of things. I tell you, I just encourage you, vote your heart. Vote, no, vote God's heart. And vote integrity. Vote for, for that which uh, makes the most sense in light of what you understand about God's word. But don't put your trust in it. You're screaming through the air at 120 miles an hour, and that's a tiny little net to trust that the election outcome is going to save anyone, much less you, Right? God's word still speaks to us in the midst of that. And through the prophet Isaiah, he was saying there is another way. There is a path. 
well, what is that path and how do we find it? I'm going to mention to you some real practical ways of finding that path at the end of our time today. But I want to stop for a second and just look at the problem, right? Why is it that we have so much trouble discerning that path? Why is it that it's so hard to find God's will? Is it because he's not speaking or because he's not speaking loudly? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. And to, and to understand, I want to take you to the life of, of an amazing guy, a man who at the transfiguration of Jesus stood next to Moses and next to Jesus and, and look at his life story for a second. Very familiar passage. But, but see if we can't learn something from his life testimony. In this case, it's a negative example of how we can make room for life. How we can make room for God in our life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I am come, I am come, present tense, that you might have life and have it, help me, abundantly, right? He didn't just come to survive. He didn't just come to hope that you can hit that little target, that little net. He, he said, no, I want you to have the fullness, the abundance of life. Christ came for that. How do we make room for that life? Well, let's go back for a second. Again, a very familiar story to you. The story of Elijah. I, I would love to do the whole background for you because it's just amazing testimony of a person who loved God. Right? His name means the Lord. He is God. Uh, and, and he spent his life speaking the very words of God. I mean, he had such a relationship with God that he prayed that the rain would stop, and, and for years it didn't rain. Two or three years at least, enough to, to virtually exterminate a population. Uh, um, he prayed, and God honored it. He he uh, challenged the the um, the the. the incorrect meta-narratives of his day, all the false gods of his day. He called them to Mount Carmel in Israel and, and took on 450 prophets of Asherah and, and, and Baal and, and in a spectacular display of God's glory. I mean, he was hanging it out there. I mean, imagine saying, God, um, I want you to consume this offering now and nothing happens. Isn't that your m- morbid fear? That God would put you in a situation where he would say, pray for this person's healing and God wouldn't heal them where he would say pray salvation over someone and God wouldn't speak salvation isn't that your morbid fear he put himself out there he risked that and God honored that a spectacular display and and, and then he prayed again that God uh, that God would end the drought and and bring the rain and if you read carefully as I understand it, he went up and down a 1700 foot mountain at least six times, back and forth, back and forth, um, asking, looking, seeing if, in fact, the rain was coming. And finally, the rain came. And, and you know the story. He ran a marathon ahead of the, literally a marathon, ahead of the chariots of Ahab to get back to Jezreel before, before the rains hit. This had been uh, an amazing a life experience for him. And then you know the story. We picked it up here that then Queen Jezebel, and that name should strike terror in your heart, um, Jezebel said, uh, uh, boy, uh, I'm going to kill you before tomorrow. And something snapped. 
the guy who was not afraid to take on her husband, one of the most wicked kings ever to, to rule in Israel, um, uh, he was not afraid to take on 450 prophets of, of Baal, but something snapped, something broke. I've heard that expression several times um, in, in, in the past weeks. I can't explain it. Something broke, and he took his servant, and, and they went, by my count, I looked it up again this morning, 120 miles away. They ran for 120 miles, and then and then First uh, Kings 19 is very clear. Then he left his servant, who probably passed out on the ground, and went another day's journey into the wilderness. And did you hear, it was Marianne, as she shared that scripture, he crawled under a broom tree and prayed, oh God, I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. I do not mean to in any way tread on your emotions if you've been at that place or you are at that place or a loved one you've had has been at that place. My point in bringing it out is is this is one of the godliest people in all of Scripture. And he got to this place where he could not hold it together any longer. I love, I love God for what he did. Did you see that? Did you hear it as she read or as you read in your scriptures? Uh, he passed out. An angel comes and, and wakes him. This is one of my life verses, by the way. And says, eat. <laughs> and, then, and then sleep, right? Uh, wake me up, God, and tell me to eat and then sleep some more, right? And, and then the angel woke him up again and said, eat more. And, and the strength from that food he went 40 more days. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but it's very possible that he went 40 more days without food. Because on the strength of that food, he went 40 more days. You know where he was going, don't you? He went all the way from Mount Carmel, all the way down, depending on where you understand Mount Sinai to be. He went all the way down to Mount Sinai, to the mountain of God, to the very place. Remember, Transfiguration, Jesus, Elijah, Moses to the very place where Moses had stood before God. And possibly, very possibly, the same cleft in the rock, the same cave. And, and the scripture's amazing. The scripture says there was this incredible windstorm. I understand you had one while we were traveling a few weeks ago. Uh, amazing windstorm. And then, and then amazing earthquake. And, and, and then this firestorm. And then I don't remember how, uh, how the ESV put it. I, I'm so used to, to a, a thin silence. A still, small voice spoke. And this, the voice spoke the same question that he had asked when he first got to Mount Sinai. Not a hard question. What are you doing here? No. He couldn't have been talking about what are you doing on Mount Sinai, right? Because the angel had sent him there. He's not talking about why are you in this physical place? He's saying, why are you in the spiritual place, Elijah? And I said this was a negative example because because I don't know that Elijah learned anything from the wind, from the earthquake, from the fire. I don't know that Elijah learned anything from from the even the still small voice. Because what he said was, God, you wouldn't believe how bad everybody is. You wouldn't believe the hellhole that this world has become. You would not believe, God, how hard I've worked in the midst of this. 
and, and God, even though everyone else is dead, I, I stood for you. And this is what I get. Right? I read the last line myself. This is what I get. This is where we are. And this is where I find myself. Well, you know the story. If you continue, God's heart was broken. He said, okay, if you're going to take yourself out of the game, here's a king of Syria I want you to anoint. Here's a king of Israel I want you to anoint. I want you to go find Elisha. I want you to go find your own successor, right? And, 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 and anoint these people to do the work that I wanted you to do. To live the life that I wanted you to live. You whose name is Yahweh is God. To live that life. And, and I think that, it, not everyone agrees with me, but I, I think that that story ends up tragically. How do we move from there? How do we live in the midst of a life where God has called us to proclaim amazing things? Where God has called us, don't make any mistake, God has called us to do greater things than even Jesus did. Where, where God has called us to shine brightly in the midst of a really dark world. How do we do that? How do we do that? Because you know what? I'm pretty much like Elijah. I'm pretty much like the, the people that Isaiah was speaking to in Isaiah 30. I don't know if you caught it as Jordan was reading that scripture. But they said, we can outrun them. We can outrun them. We'll flee on our horses. And God says, they will overtake you. You cannot solve this yourself. And, and there's a reason you cannot solve it. Because I put you in this situation myself. I put you in a place that you cannot extract yourself. What do we do? One solution is to crawl under the broom tree and wish that you were dead. But in our memory verse, do you still have your bulletins in front of you? In our memory verse for today, it's at the bottom of your order of worship. He speaks some powerful truth. And I just want to invite you to read that with me, would you? Isaiah 30, verse 15. God says this, in, join me, would you? In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. The address, Isaiah thirty fifteen. I remember when I first came across this, I said, I said, what? My trust is in Jesus, right? My trust is in Jesus. And so, is this a situation where, where the, New Test- the New Testament has overtaken the Old, or as we believe in Reformed theology, that they're not two stories, it's one story, and this is the same story? What is he saying? He's saying the same thing that John the Baptist said, right? When John the Baptist came after 400 years of no word from God, John the Baptist came in, what did he say? He said, repent, right? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did Jesus say? What was the message that Jesus proclaimed when, when John the Baptist was, was, uh, was imprisoned? He said, repent. Repent. In other words, stop trying to do this yourself. You cannot do this. I'm speaking to those of us who are trying to do it our own way, apart from God's way. But I'm also speaking to those of us who've been trying to do it God's way, and we've just been trying to do it harder and harder God's way, not realizing that in, in, in trying to will it to happen by our, by our religion or our religiousness, um, trying to will it by our good behavior that we were actually breaking God's heart because he had a better way. We've got to stop at some point and say, 
maybe for the first time, I can't do this, God. Or we can't do this, God. We're going to believe that, that maybe you have a better way. And, and turn from our, uh, our wicked ways, for some of us, and just turn from our righteous ways for others of us. To cast ourselves on the mercy and grace of God. But did you see the second thing? Repentance was critical. Didn't change because Jesus came. It was the same message Jesus brought. Stop trying to do it your way. And with a change that begins in your mind, but changes and transforms your heart and ends up changing your actions uh, in, in repentance, open your heart again to, to my way of doing it. But did you see what was second? And, and, and that's, that's amazing. He says a critical part of this is rest. And repentance and rest is your salvation. I, now I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm going, what? <laughs> How does that work? God, um, uh, I, I always thought when, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? And I can think of all kinds of other non-biblical proverbs, right? Um, to try and, and justify just working a little bit harder, even spiritually, to accomplish God's purpose. But God says, oh, I want, you to, I want you to engage. I want you to work your heart out, as we'll see in the coming weeks, from 6 in the morning till 6 at night. I want you to do that. But you need to stop. At some point, you need to stop your striving. How did, how did Psalm 46.10 put it, right? Be still and what? Know that I am God. We didn't, read the, we didn't sing the next part, but he says, I will be exalted. Speaking to those of us who are trying to manually exalt him in such a way that, that everyone else will have to respond. I will be exalted in all the earth. You don't have to worry about that. I'm, I'm a big God. I will be exalted. But you cannot exalt yourself and your life and your schedule and your agenda at the same time and expect that I'm going to be exalted too. Work hard. And then cease, I love the other translation, cease striving and experience that I am God. Psalm 46.10. So in repentance and rest is your salvation. It's so interesting to me that in, in the Elijah story, there was spectacular displays of the glory of God. If you've ever been caught in, uh, in, a, in a hurricane, you know what a windstorm can be like. If you've ever been caught in a thunderstorm in the mountains, I can remember one time in the Sierras getting caught. We hit under a rock and lightning was hitting all the rocks around us. We're going, I believe, I believe, you know. Um, if you've ever been in that situation, you know the power of those things. But God was not in those things. His point was to say, I'm not in the spectacular. I'm in the still, small. The, if you saw the footnote in your ESV Bible down at the bottom, it says a thin silence, right? A thin silence. He was in the thin silence. And in the thin silence, Elijah heard his voice. In quietness, you'll hear his voice. You've got to be quiet. You've got to be quiet. I work a lot in nursing homes, and one of the things I notice about them is that in every room, they keep something going. Um, and usually it's, um, oh, I can't think of the name of it, those old 1960 programs, uh, you know, and um, there's always noise. There's always noise filling it, right? That 
Silence is frightening. Silence is scary. And I, and I don't think that we're any different. We fill our lives with so much noise that we can't hear God when he speaks. Remember, he said, this is the way, walk in it. We need that moment by moment, don't we? God, what do I do in November? This is the way, walk in it. We need to hear his voice. God, what would you ask of me uh, this coming week when I'm facing that situation that's challenging my integrity at work? What would you ask of me? Be still, be quiet, listen for my voice, right? Repentance is critical. Rest is critical. Quietness, being quiet before the Lord is critical. And did you see the last one? In quietness and trust shall be your strength. I mean, it's easy to say that, but Assyria is not marching down Oak Hill Road, right? One of the most wicked cultures ever to exist was threatening them, and it, and it melted it melted their, their hearts. And, and, and I don't blame them. They sought some other human institution. But God said, I want you to trust, yes. But I want you to trust in me. I want you to trust in me. And that tragedy of Elijah taking himself out of the game, God put, asked him to pour his life. And he did for about five years after that. He was in a triad or biad with with Elisha. It's always so confusing. Is it Elijah? Was discipling Elisha. But Elisha got it. Because a circumstance that happened in Elisha's life just a little bit later um, displays amazing trust. Elisha uh, had been hearing, because of his quietness of heart, he'd been hearing the Lord's will for the nation of Israel. So whenever Israel's enemies would, would make a strategy, God would speak that strategy to Elisha. He would tell the commanders of the Lord's army, he would tell the commanders of Israel, and they would circumvent the problem. And finally, the, the, the king that was coming and attacking them said, said, who is it that's betraying uh, uh, everything that we're said, we're saying here? And he's thinking one of his generals is betraying him. And, and one, of his, one of his prophets says, you know, um, there's a man of God in Israel and he speaks what happens in your bedroom to, uh, to Israel. And, and the king says, well, we got to get this guy. And, and the king went and surrounded. He was in a little, little town like Chandler, um, surrounded Chandler, where Elijah was. Elisha was with the mighty armies. They were completely surrounded. Elisha's servant is scared to death. He's scared to death. He's trembling in his boots. And Elisha just seems to be calm. He seems to be peaceful. And, and the servant can't figure it out. And, and Elisha prays, Lord, open my servant's eyes, right? And the servant's thinking, I don't want to open my eyes. Is that your strategy? It's mine, by the way. When I'm surrounded by the armies of my enemies, I don't want to open my eyes. I don't want to get out of bed, right? I don't want to face this thing. I don't want my eyes to be open, but he did. And he saw something. Most of you are on to me already. What did he see? He saw that surrounding the armies of his enemies was the Lord's army. And that God had actually brought his enemies to that place for a mighty victory. And if he would just stand and trust in God's direction in his life, that he would provide for him. And of course he did. They didn't have to fight at all. The enemies defeated itself. 
They heard the armies of the Lord and thought it was the armies of Israel, and they turned on themselves and defeated themselves. So many times our men's groups have seen that. God says, just stand and see your deliverance, right? You don't have to fight. I'll fight for you. You don't have to, to strive. I'll strive for you. But you've got to watch. You've got to open your eyes. I want to challenge you. I know that you're facing myriad situations that are greater than you. And you're tempted, if you're like me, you're tempted to go back and find a human solution. Who can I ally myself with uh, and, and, and possibly maybe uh, deliver myself? And, and God says, you, that's not going to happen with any of them. I, I call you to repentance. I call you to rest and quietness. Listen for my still, small voice. And when you hear it, put your weight down on that. In the, in the coming weeks, I'm going to invite you to um, several different practices that will help you put these four things into practice. And you're going to look at me and you're going to think you're an idiot. There's no way that that can happen in our culture I mean, I will lose my job. I will lose my family. I, you know, and I'm going to say, I'm going to challenge you. Does God's word say it, first of all? And if it does, put it into practice and stand and see the deliverance of God. I'm going to invite you to make room for he who is alive, to make room for Jesus in your heart. And I'm trusting and believing with all my heart that God is going to bless you. He's going to bless you. I'm smiling at Kristen. It just dawned on me, you're back. Welcome. A lot of our college students are returning. Many of our college students are getting ready to go. Um, I'm going to invite you to drink deeply of God's word in these coming eight weeks and really in the rest of your life. And to see if it absolutely, if it doesn't absolutely transform the rest of your lives. Pray with me, would you, God? We love you. We trust you. It's not easy for us, God, to say to you, um, the way I've been doing this might have been wrong. Um, even, um, God, in the alliances that we've made and, and the idols that we have put our weight down on, um, we're recognizing, God, that your work is saying, let him go. Let them go and put your weight down on me instead. And God, many of us, like, like the pot that, that uh, Isaiah was referring to, have been shattered. And we've been so shattered, God, we're not even sure that, that our, these shards, the, the pieces of this broken life of ours, could even hold water enough to sip from, God. But we're going to trust something, God. We're going to trust that, that you are the potter and we are the clay. And if you have allowed our lives to be shattered or broken, if you brought us to that place where we can see this pot is not going to work in the days and months to come, God, to trust that you who molded us and shaped us in the first place can break this pot and rebuild it in such a way, God, that would bring you glory and honor. Right now, God, would you wash over us crackpots and broken pots? Would you um, speak words of life to us and allow us to trust that it's not about the pot. It's about the potter and the treasure that he places in us. 
And God, we're going to believe that the Apostle Paul's words are true. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. So God, take our brokenness, take our earthenness, and pour into us the love and truth of your gospel. And we will be quick to say it's not about the pot, it's about the potter. We will be quick to put our weight down on your gentle hands as you mold us and shape us into the vessel you desire us to be. We ask this in the precious name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.